today on Ag News Daily. It's about to have a, a product what who lasts and what to get, to get the product product in every year. Yeah. And I think that's the most important part. Well, listeners, February 28th, 2023, Ag News Daily Edition. Tanner and Delaney sit in the truck together to record your news today. We are, because you're getting ready to head over to Disney to go to... Orlando yeah. for Commodity Classic and little family vacation ahead That's right. of that. I will, I'm sure to be completely exhausted before Commodity Classic even starts. Yes. And uh, hopefully there'll be one day in the middle where I get to rest up. How many steps or miles do you think you're going to walk while you're at Disney? Do you have an Apple Watch so you can track it? I do. It? I've got my watch. Uh, I would presume over a seven day period, I will walk at least 10 miles. Oh, each day I would say you're probably going to walk at least four or five. Oof. I might need to uh, make my shoe choices yes. a little differently tonight then. Yes, I would say it's <laughs> going to be realistic that you walk that much each day. But the weather forecast looks great. It That's looks like nice. it's going to be high 80s. And even looking out as far as the 10-day for Commodity Classic next week, it looks like the weather should be really good in Florida. Unfortunately, not all of our listener friends are experiencing good weather. We've seen red flag warnings uh, due to high winds and extreme dry conditions from Colorado through Kansas south into West Texas. There were 20 to 30 mile per hour gusts up to 45. These dry conditions will continue to have our listeners in those parts fighting the dust and sand blowing through the area. But you come up north, North Dakota and South Dakota will see a winter snow warning coming through, potentially dropping five to nine inches of snow in those areas. And there was talks, Delaney, of Texas getting a derecho Mm. Yesterday, so I said it's called a haboob if it's in Texas. Oh, is it really? Ooh, I might have to dive into that article while you get through your first headline to see if well, they called it that. I also have some weather updates here. I'm sure you touched on the storms that happened on Sunday already, but so far we've got total storm reports from the Southern Plains that happened on Sunday heading into Monday, totaling 219 different total storms, 14 of which were tornadoes. And those storms continued into yesterday, Tanner, as Champaign, Illinois, most notably had a tornado that touched down in their neck of the woods. Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio added another 62 reports of storms in general, with eight of which included tornadoes. So next round of severe weather emerges in the south on Wednesday and again on Thursday. So hopefully you guys stay dry and don't pick up any of the storm coverage in Orlando later this week into next week. Yeah, no kidding. Well, yeah, it looks like Tyne Morgan reported yesterday that scenes across Texas and Oklahoma had seen dust era, dust bowl era type winds mm. toppling 100 miles per hour, which would classify it as a derecho or haboob, like okay. you just said, or habob. It looks... Haboob. It's a haboob. Okay. I've heard Eric Snodgrass say it, and that was yes. the only reason it stuck with me, but... The biggest concerns that they have, though, is farmers are talking about what it's done to the wheat crop mm -hmm. in some of those areas, because that sand and high gusts of winds can be very damaging to that wheat crop. It certainly can, and it's crazy to think, you know, I think... March 1 is really when farmers start thinking about planter season, planting season. That's when the wheels start churning and they're starting to focus a little bit more heavily on that. But some farmers are already getting started with planting season, Tanner. Um, Matt Miles from Extreme Ag planted his first corn and soybean crop in Arkansas already this year. He said February is usually their biggest question mark about whether or not they can get in there and get 
beans or corn planted and they had an unreasonably warm season so they went ahead and tried some small acre testing ultra early planting in 2023 to do a little more research on early planted soybeans and corn they said on february 20th they finally caught a break and they planted a 28 acre field of early planting soybeans and a 44 acre field of corn with intentions of planting a second bean crop behind that corn this year but it's hard to believe people are already getting into the fields and gearing up for planting season but those folks that are doing the early planting are probably well in line with where they should be. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Ag with Emma, who was at National Farm Machinery Show with us, went to Texas after that stop, and she's been uh, on a crew getting some crops Mm. planted down there as well. Looking at some news that I think we missed, Delaney, last August. Of course, during COVID, the government had come out with a couple of stimulus plans, and part of the 2021 COVID-19 stimulus plan was proposing to erase the debt for agriculture loans for nearly 16,000 agricultural producers identified as African American, Native American, Alaskan Native, Asian, Pacific Islander, or Hispanic. But as of August 2022, these classifying conditions were dropped. This is thanks to in part by the Carpenter family due to their discrimination lawsuit that had gone about debt forgiveness because they as a white male and female had qualified for the exact same loan programs through the USDA and were not considered as part of the candidates for debt forgiveness. So uh, as this article states here, sitting around their kitchen table in March of 2021, they had identified these and in disbelief had formed a team together to work on an anti-discrimination lawsuit that has been dismissed very quietly. They stated here their words as it seemed outrageously discriminatory to our face, so we read it again to be certain and then contacted our team members. The USDA pulled the handbrake on this program very quietly, Mm -hmm. but just wanted to share that with our listeners that the government's plan to transfer farmer and rancher debt to U.S. taxpayers was canceled in August of 2022, and the basis of that is the results of the settlement from the Wyoming Carpenter family. So I had not reported on that. I couldn't remember I us covering it. I don't even it. remember hearing that in the so, news. Uh, they I, must have done a good job of muddying the waters when that came out. They did. I do remember the uh, a lot of discussion across social media around the different mm-hmm. type of packages for uh, those of discriminatory categories. But wanted to make sure our listeners knew that that had discontinued. Well, then I'm going to take us back to a little bit of weather-related news in South America as crop stress continues to expand. Nearly three-fourths of Argentina's grain belt over the next 15 days is likely expected to expand their crop stress. A smaller crop, of course, is expected. However, we don't know yet what is going to come out of Brazil as far as their safrina, second corn crop that should be going in the ground here as of now. The As of Friday, Stonex is reporting that the Brazilian soybean crop is about 32% harvested, down from 46% this time last year. But last year was a very fast year compared to this year where they're still getting some uh, scattered rains here and there. But the Safrina corn crop planting progress was at 47%, which is down 20 percentage points from this time last year. And that's kind of the big question mark is, are they going to be able to get the crop planted quickly enough to um, be able to have 
a large safrina crop, which if you think about it, that is the crop that they primarily are exporting on the world market. They keep the first one. The second one is usually the one that we see come online heading to countries like China and elsewhere. And so that's really what markets are going to be watching here as far as Brazilian uh, weather and planting goes. Yeah, that is something that uh, I was hoping to have a conversation with yesterday during our Market Monday discussion, but we'll have to catch up with that next week on those side of things. We also had reported last week, Delaney, on the fact that a majority of farmers have a lot of their inputs purchased already. But DTN comes out with their article today stating that the fertilizer market is kind of at a crossroads. After record high fertilizer prices in the most recent year, the global fertilizer industry could be entering into a new era. The USDA Ag Outlook Forum last week dropped this information. Even though prices have come off record highs, the elevated demand for fertilizer continues to keep prices stabilized. However, there's been significant investments made in the industry to kind of take over what looked to be more like a concentrated effort. However, Laura Cross, the director for market intelligence, stated that the myth about fertilizer being short in the world is not true. While there was several production issues during the Russia invasion of Ukraine, a lot of production levels rose in other parts of the world. Global phosphorus fertilizer actually increased production from 21 to 22, and nitrogen and potash production were curtailed somewhat during this time, but not the large drop-off that people were forecasting us to see. So her quote is, global fertilizer production is expected to actually increase in 2023. Urea capacity up 2%, phosphorus up 7%, potash is expected to maybe drop a little but only compared to 22 levels and it will not drop below 2019 levels so they stated here that the myth of fertilizer going to be at record high levels from this year on out is probably not true because even though fertilizer production suffered when russia invaded ukraine it seems like the world has filled back in so that's good news for our producers except for the fact that a majority of them already have it mm -hmm. booked for this year yeah that's interesting because josh linville of sonex has a little bit differing thoughts he's suggesting that perhaps there aren't as many farmers as we think that have pre-booked fertilizer needs and we're still seeing some wait until last minute and he said that could be detrimental for those that have been waiting because Although we're not going to see a shortage of supply, there's still supply chain issues to actually source the fertilizer products from those who have it and those who need it. So that's kind of the one thing to keep in mind here is those farmers that haven't pre-locked in those needs might uh, get an interesting prescription when they go to purchase that here ahead of planting or after planting season. Well, I like the way that you phrased that, that it's more transportation issue yes. rather than production issue. Absolutely. But we also saw last week out of coming out of uh, the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, a significant drop in farm income is forecasted. I don't think we touched on this one, Tanner, as far as numbers go, but net farm income is expected to top $150 billion this year, which sounds good in theory, but that's gonna be 23% lower wow. compared to 2022. USDA is also forecasting a record agricultural trade deficit of $14.5 billion, which I believe would be the largest that we've ever seen. So we're going to be importing a lot more product in 2023 than we will be exporting agricultural goods. So that, of course, paints the picture for a less rosy scene when it comes to commodity markets here in 2023. 
Yeah, that uh, we had not touched on that, so I'm glad that you brought that up. The only headline that I've got left is just some updates on the battle that is happening in Ukraine. Uh, is it Bakhmut? Is that how you pronounce it? A we'll city go with that. in Ukraine is uh, definitely getting devastated currently with Russian invasion. Uh, the President Zelensky, or Zelensky is stating that it is much worse than the media is portraying it. Of course, Russia has accused Ukraine of attempting drone attacks against civilian infrastructure in their uh, Krasnodar region. CNN cannot confirm that, obviously, as it was put together. The Kremlin stated that Russia is looking at new territorial realities and potentially putting in defense of Ukrainian cities in which they have overtaken, putting up surveillance and security. Doctors who are in the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut have stated that there is constant shelling and a large amount of ground fighting as well as aerial attacks so it seems like the devastation in that city is going to be nearly unrepairable by the time this is done so unfortunately it doesn't seem like uh, there is much progress being made even after china had stepped in to try and create a little bit of a peace plan that was yeah that document that was released on friday yep well we also saw at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, the North Dakota State University a Distinguished Professor of Agribusiness and Applied Economics, Bill Wilson, was a panelist speaking about logistical costs that Ukraine has experienced here specifically due to the war. And he said pre-war logistics from the farm to Odessa, as far as shipping costs were concerned, were about $31 per ton which were the lowest costs in the world for agriculture. Post-war, the range is $70 plus through Odessa, which doesn't leave much profit for the farmer. He said the increased costs for Ukrainian farmers are negatively impacting their production and calling a lot of question as to what Ukrainian farmers are going to be planting in the field this year, Tanner. Yeah, and that's a, it's even a question, too, as to what U.S. farmers are going to plant in regards and response to that, because the U.S. is forecasting farmers to plant 49.5 million acres of wheat. That would be the most since 2016, and that might be what's leading into the reaction to the markets today. It certainly might be, because we certainly are seeing, especially soybeans today, having an ugly day here on this Turnaround Tuesday. March soybeans down about 24 cents here at the midday at 14.94. New crop beans down 19 cents now at the 13.52 mark. New crop corn is down about two and a half pennies on the day at 5.73. March old crop corn down about five and three quarter cents at 6.37. Wheat today is not spared, although we are seeing a little bit of mixed trade here as we head into March expiration. Hard red May winter wheat is up a penny and a half at 818 and a half. Tanner, as we hop over here to take a look at the livestock markets today, we're seeing mostly positive trading action here, uh, except for April live cattle, which are down about a nickel at a buck sixty-four ninety-two. June live cattle, however, are up 15 cents at a buck sixty-one oh two and a half. April feeders today adding 70 cents at the midday at a buck 94.92 and April lean hogs up 22 pennies at 84.95. Tanner, without further ado, let's take it over to a Tech Tuesday conversation you had a few weeks ago at the National Farm Machinery Show. National Farm Machinery Show hanging out on Friday. 
wanted to get some information here. We have two representatives from Horsch. Corey? Yes. Every time I hear that, I, I hear that song. I'll take my horse to the Old Town Road. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Let's start off first with you, Lucas. Who uh, Tell our listeners who you are, what you do. So my name is Lucas Horsch. So I'm originally out of Germany. Uh, so I moved here, let's say, one year ago, basically. 100% uh, of the time I moved in August last year. So with all my family and so on. And I traveled back and forth the last year. But now I'm full-time in... <laughs> Fargo, North Dakota, and I am uh, responsible for the North American market for Horsch. Okay, and your last name matches the shirt? Yes, uh, so I'm the second generation, and uh, my father started the company, and so I'm here. What was the reason for your father starting the company? The reason was pretty easy. He was um, he was here in the U.S. For, for, for nine months, ten, ten months in total. He was working for... Um, let's say for, for a company building equipment. And uh, his plan was um, to come back to Germany because, he, because of the military service he needed to come back to yeah. Germany. So you, you need to, there's a one year program that you need, need to do. And in the meantime, he wanted to, to do a small business, sell his business and start farming. This was was the main idea, okay. but it, it never never worked out this well. So, yeah. So we changed a little bit this business model. Yeah. Okay, I like that. But we also have Jeremy here. Jeremy, mm -hmm. who are you, and what do you do for Horsch? So um, I work as product manager, and I cover all the planting, seeding, and also the uh, uh, tillage lines that we market here in North America, both domestically built products and also import products in those lines. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, it's always fun to watch the content that you guys put out, but even coming to the show and seeing the products that you have here, they're impressive tools. It feels like they're a step above. Yeah, they're he heavy built, and they look like they're meant to do a lot of things all at the same time. Has that always been a focus of your dad's and Horsch? Mm, to do many things at the same time, yes and no. Um, I think the main, main objective is to, to get the uh, agronomical goal in the best way in. Yeah. So I've, I would say it's more, more this side we, we are focusing on. Yeah. So we are not always looking what the others are doing. We're always focusing, okay, what is the real need yes. in what situation and try to understand what is the need of the farmer. Yeah, and a lot of that right now, Corey, is efficiency. Yes. Making yeah. sure that we use our time for the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, efficiency is a good word. Um, and efficiency, you can see it in two ways. You can put a lot of money into efficiency yeah. and uh, have, let's say, the time spent in, uh, for, for, your, for your personal life. This is important too. But the most important is get to get the job done in the right time yeah. and, and the right thing. Not, not about to have, let's say, the smartest and the most important hot rod in the field. Yeah. It's about to have a, a product what who lasts and what to get to get the product product in every year. Yep. And I think that's the most important in and my opinion. As a farmer, I really appreciate that you're going for the actual need of the farmer and not making me adjust to whatever you're putting out because yep. it's the cheapest or the easiest parts to sell, you know, type of stuff. So I do I do appreciate that quite a bit. I, I was at the Farm Progress show and I stopped by your guys' booth and I got up in one of your new sprayers and uh, was blown away by I, I spray high high tall corn now and uh, that thing would do awesome in that. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get my hands on them. I gotta drive one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can we can we can work on that. Yeah. It's no problem. Yeah. So Jeremy, do, yeah. down here at the show you guys mm -hmm. put a lot of a focus on product releases, making sure the public farmers can mm -hmm. see, touch, feel what you guys have going on. Mm -hmm. 
So what's exciting? What's coming out this year that we're looking forward to? Well, 2023 is going to be a very exciting year when it comes to product launches and the new technologies we're going to be bringing here at Horsch. So uh, the first topic will be going back to the sprayer. So our first retail units will be hitting the field this year for the new Lieb. A lot of exciting technologies on that machine that are really focused on mitigating drift, maximizing coverage, and then also on the clean-out you know, systems that are on the machine. We have a lot of customers today that are fighting you know, this whole new wave of of uh, using chemistries other than glyphosate, you know, and when it comes to all the management practices that go along with that, and plus the timing of it too, you know, being able to capture more of that window with the technologies that we use to mitigate drift and uh, maximize coverage. And then the other big topic is the new high-speed planter that we're going to be launching here this year. We've got seven dem demonstrator units that we've got in some specific areas now. Uh, between Illinois, uh, Iowa, uh, the Dakotas, and Kansas, that we're really taking a whole new approach and a very simplified approach to high-speed planting by using high positive pressure air. Oh. So no more mechanical means of carrying the seed from the disc down to the furrow, using uh, one big fan on the planter, so no vacuum fans on the planter, okay. and using high pressure air to convey the seed from the central hopper out to the units, and then also taking that same airflow, using it for singulation, and then using it for basically what I call shooting the seed down into the furrow. Oh, I was going to say, it sounds like an air rifle. Exactly. <laughs> yes. and, and that's exactly how it operates, because uh, once you have that seed coming onto the disc, it's shot directly to the furrow and a lot of the myths that we you know hear about today in a lot of marketing with c2 bounce and a lot yeah. of these things goes out the window with this yeah because you're not relying on gravity exactly yep. you're precisionally shooting mm-hmm and I, I would assume that's less moving parts. Absolutely. So bad. we take out the vac fans. Uh, there's only one motor on the meter that actually turns the disc, which we already have in our current mm -hmm. planters. Uh, no extra power generation. It's honestly a little bit simpler planter than even what we build today with, with the vacuum style. So how fast are we talking? So this year we did a lot of testing. Well, this year being 2022, we did a lot of testing with this unit. It's already been on the market over in Europe now for three years. So there's a lot of these units running like in Ukraine, Eastern Europe and areas okay. like that and in Germany. Um, this year we pushed the envelope. We did 13 miles an hour with it in the field. Good tilled field, uh, you know, really nice seed bed out there. And when we did the stands behind it, you know, we do coefficient of variation measurements where we're measuring off 300 feet, yep. number of rows per machine, checking that quality of spacing. Um, this is going to be fun. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. In all different row widths and configurations or where we're starting? So where we're starting at is is with a basic 2430 and a 1630 platform. Okay. So that'll be where our start is. We'll get those products into the market, make sure we got things where we need them, of what customers are looking for, and then um, variations will develop out of those. Yep. So I haven't got into the speed planting yet, but there's a lot around us. How's this thing going to handle a rock at 13 mile an hour? Well, it'll handle a rock very well because the way our row units are designed, we've got a very robust, probably the most robust parallelogram system in the market. And then one of the key features that we have on all of our Maestro planters is we're not using U-bolts to mount the row units for the frames. They're actually directly linked to the frame. Okay. So we take out some of those steps and some of those uh, uh, linkage areas there with the U-bolts. It's directly linked to the frame. Plus, we use a weight transfer system. So on our machines, we were one of the pioneers with weight transfer and hydraulic downforce. Ah. And high-speed planting. Yeah, and high-speed planting. So this platform that we've had, we've had now since 2011, and it's built tough for those type of conditions. Yeah. That's right. good. So, Lucas, obviously that's been a focus of your family, is to, to build tough, strong equipment, stuff that you want to last. 
and put it in the field. Yeah, the, the basic uh, reason for that is because we all our families coming off out of farming, and uh, and we were always running pretty big farms in Europe, and our focus was always to have equipment what what lasts for us. Mm -hmm. Even today, we are running a 20,000 acre farm, so I'm running it with my with my brother together. So. Um, so that means we, we are still in, the, in, in this business and in the end it's a commodity business. Everybody of us is doing the same product and we're all competing on, this, on, the same, on the same thing and in the end we need to be really, we need to be cost efficient. It's not about time efficient, we need to be cost efficient. Yep. We do. So is everything on the farm horse equipment that you guys make? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> we always say to our, to our guys and in the, in the, in to, let's say to our Everybody in our company knows between Christmas and New Year there are some new ideas born mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we had a lot of ideas in this okay. time frame. Yeah. <laughs> well, you go back onto the Maestro planter that we launched in Agritechnica back in 2011. Uh, not trying to rain on your parade here or anything, but they sat down over Dece uh, through December over Christmas break and really was rethinking how to build a better planter. And that planter hit the field in April. Oh, wow. Yep. So we're very fast when it comes to we have an idea, we have the thought process, we know the agronomics, we just go for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, and at this time, we, we, we needed to, uh, to plant 2,500 acres of corn. And mm -hmm. the, the task was there, but we didn't have to plant it for that at the moment. And yeah. we just made it. Huh. So how are you approaching dealership network in the United States? I mean... That's such a big part of when someone buys a piece of equipment that the dealer and support is mm -hmm. close or, or accessible. Yes. So um, this, is, this is a topic what we need to mm -hmm. work still. We, we have some regions where we are very good with our dealers, dealership network. And in the end, it's, a, it's more a relationship what we need to mm -hmm. work now. So what we, what we will do is now uh, we will work on the dealers what we have and we will try to support them as best as possible and especially train them into our product range. and they, they will see into the future that we, they will get that support from us. And what is very important to us, it's one thing is the dealership and one side is, let's say, the customer okay. uh, contact. Yeah. So we, we always talk about the triangle because since we begin in the 80s, we were always direct selling our equipment because we were the crazy guys <laughs> selling no-till equipment to a, to a market who was not no-till. Yeah. So, um, so we were the hippies in this, in this, <laughs> in this matter. So, so in the end, um, we were used to get this customer contact yeah. Yeah. and uh, we are used to talk agronomy. We are used to talk a little bit techniques and stuff like this. And this knowledge, we want to, to work with the dealer together and we want to always uh, be in contact with both of them because we, you still need a dealer to do the service. Yeah. You still need a de dealer to do the trade-in. You will always have that. Right. But, uh, but on the other side, we're always there to support there. Mm -hmm. And coming to, let's say, to our agronomy, let's mm -hmm. say, our agronomy knowledge platform. This year we have, uh, we have again our farm show, what will come up. And it's not a farm show, a typical farm show where we just show equipment and we just say, okay, we have the nicest and greatest. Yeah. No, that's about, we do this too, but 15% of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 90 or na nearly 90% of the time we talk farming and we have some farmers coming all around the world talking agronomy and talking about the very important stuff and get a little bit of thinking out of the box and to new ideas to our customer base and get an exchange platform there. And I think this is the most important. It's not about to talk 
the whole time efficiency. The other yeah, side is right. the work is still in the, in the field, is still on the ground, and we yep. all need to understand what is important. Oh, well, this is good. This has been a great tease. So people can come in and, mm -hmm. and dive a little bit deeper. So guys, if people want to learn more about it, reach out to you. I know you've got a field day coming up, mm -hmm. but what's the best way? Whoever wants to take that, what's the best way for people to look more up about Horsch? And what's the field day information? So the field day information is we'll be having our field day at July 20th and 21st, I believe, uh, at Downs, Illinois. So we have a research farm, marketing center, and also a training center there where we have uh, live demonstrations. We'll be doing a lot of agronomy talks. And as Lucas said, there's going to be a lot of international guest speakers, you know, from uh, agronomy and farming-based topics that are there. And then to reach us, I mean, you can go to our website, www.horse.com, and then also Horse North America that you'll find on YouTube where we have a lot of videos that are on there of a lot of the machines that we have and, um, you know, kind of invite people to come in and be a part of that horse world. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been quick. We appreciate you making the time to come over and hang out with us. There you go, listeners. Another uh, reflection on the fun time that we had down there and Corey Hillebo, co-host of the Farm for Profit podcast. We might try to do some of that while we're at Commodity Classic as well. Get some uh, unfamiliar voices on, but you, needless to say, some really great technology going to be released and unveiled at Commodity Classic. Oh, you know it. And I'm sure you and Corey are going to get the scoop for us. And I think it's good to have Corey on now and then. He's a farmer bringing a farmer voice to the podcast. So maybe asks some different questions than you and I, Tanner. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you back, Delaney. Uh, as you heard yesterday, listeners, I will be off the rest of the week, but we'll join you back next week. But for today, what do you say? So let listeners go. Let's let them go. Let's let them go.